Welcome to Composers On Air, a podcast presented by the Lithuanian Music Information Center. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be having conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into the music. Welcome to the experience of the world-class composer Reminta Shercznite as we explore the inner dimensions of creativity and deeply meaningful explorations. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture for the Republic of Lithuania. So I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers on Air, and it's a real honor to speak to you. I know that you've had such international success and in working with so many top orchestras in the world, and it's been a pleasure to listen and prepare and really get close to your music. It's been quite amazing, actually. And after listening to the music, something occurred to me, and I'm always interested in this connecting question when I first meet somebody. And actually, I thought about a lot of things, but I thought most importantly that you have this amazing access to a real broad range of clear emotions, and you really give the listener a direct experience of it but there's an unmistakable clarity that what you write, you must be hearing quite accurately in your mind. And I'm very interested in knowing if you can remember some of the earliest memories listening to orchestral music and maybe what the most important music you remember listening to was. Hello, True. Thank you very much for invitation to this broadcast. And yes, I remember very well my first experience with orchestras. And in fact, I remember very well my first experience with opera, which I saw perhaps at that time I was five or six years old. And the first opera which I listened to, it was Britain, Let's Make Opera. And it did for me enormous impression. And from that time, I fall in love with opera and orchestral music. I listened maybe a few years later and maybe I was around 10 or 11 years old when I the first time listened to piece for symphony orchestra and it was actually Beethoven symphony number no. five. And uh, maybe a few years later, I listened to Beethoven symphony number no. nine and it was for me a fantastic experience, fantastic impression. And it was so powerful and I felt like being in trance after listening and during listening. So it was my first impression about symphony orchestra. And this very famous piece, De Profundis, which Gidon Kramer has called a calling card for Baltic music, and that's quite a high compliment. And I realized that this is something that sounds very developed and very mature in its writing, meaning that you have a very clear understanding of orchestration, not just the emotional aspects, but also the technical aspects of orchestration. Can you say a little bit about the process of learning orchestration and some of the most important teachers you had to help you understand orchestration? I think that some composers has more orchestral hearing inside and some maybe composer has more chamber hearing inside. It means that because it is quite different writing for orchestral music and for chamber ensembles. And so I think in a way it influenced because I playing piano since being six years old. 
and you know the piano we play with <laughs> ten fingers and it means that we are very much used to hear music in chords not in one voice but in chords and also piano it is like little symphony orchestra with huge range with a huge possibility of sound uh, the power of sound and I think this piano playing influenced me um, very much and I'm very thankful for my piano teacher and my aunt Rimantischerk Schneider by whom I studied piano 12 years at Kaunas Juazas Noyales Music Gymnasium and from composition the most important teacher for me was Oswaldas Balakauskas by whom I studied six years at Lithuanian Music Academy and Theater and yes and how I learned orchestration actually the Profundis was uh, my the first piece for for orchestra. It was for string orchestra, which I wrote during the fourth years of my studies at Music Academy. As I mentioned, I think that this hearing of dense textures and also of colors, I think it is like <laughs> from nature in a way, and it is perhaps such type of composer, I think. Thank you. 
Yeah, the emotional color is quite shocking and effective. I remember hearing it for the first time, and even in the first few seconds, I realized something quite important is happening. It Again, it doesn't sound like a first piece. It sounds like something that's very, very cultivated and well, well rehearsed and practiced in the sense of writing. I wanted to then ask about the compositional process. So when you're working, some people think that, that you have to have a generous amount of time to work. Some people work more methodically on a schedule and they're working very, very in a disciplined manner. What is your compositional writing style in terms of how you work? First of all, I maturing idea. It is a very long process and before writing I must be sure that I have right idea which I would like to put on paper. So without idea I don't see any sense to write music. So when I have idea it is quite difficult to describe but it has everything inside. I have a vision how I imagine how should be sound and also what kind of emotional side should be of this piece and also on the same time I imagine the structure in general. So it is long way till I see how to put this idea, how to find the best language which would correspond to this idea and which sound, which system would be the best to convince this idea. And so the process consists of a few episodes. The first is then maturing the idea, and the second stage of composition process is when i looking for sound language, and I'm looking for what kind of system or model system or uh, some cluster system or what else would be the best for this piece. And the writing itself, it is only the last stage. And so it is very difficult to say how long it takes to write a piece because first of all, I have to be sure about idea. Yeah, and when you speak about the word idea and that you have to have a clear idea, is this an emotional idea? Is this an inner concept? Or are you hearing sounds from the beginning? Perhaps it is all <laughs> these three things. And also and emotional and conceptual. And also often I hear at least a few motives or so... It is really not easy to describe the whole process, but I think whole rational and irrational process is going on during that time. Yes, that's very interesting, this idea of rational and irrational, because I think emotions can often be irrational, and sometimes the inner state is very elusive, and it's sometimes difficult to certainly communicate it in language. But with music, it's maybe possible to be a little bit more direct. And I do feel when I'm listening to your music that it's a very direct and I would say relatable emotional connection. I think that's usually the success of all artists, not only musicians, but painters and even comedians who are trying to get their audiences to laugh at good jokes is how to relate to them. It's the, the talent of finding a way to create something that people understand themselves. As if, you know, when I listen to your music, it's as if I wrote the music in the sense of experiencing the emotion. And it's very, it becomes very close and very personal. So it, it's very interesting. I wanted to also ask you about the Iceberg Symphony. And this is also a very fully orchestrated piece with lots of textures and lots of grand gestures. What is the story about the Iceberg Symphony? How did that start? Actually, I was all the time dreaming about writing for orchestra. When I started my studium at Music Academy, 
in the first course, I thought about how I finish and which one piece I would like to write. So perhaps I matured for five, six years this idea. And because I all the time from childhood had idea that I will write for orchestras. And so I waited this very much. And in fact, it is my first piece for symphony orchestra. And it was written for completing master studies. It is um, for finishing music academy. And idea, the word iceberg contains in a way two meanings. It is uh, not only literal, direct, but also metaphorical meaning. As you know, when we often talking in psychology that what we see, it is only top, but everything is under the water. So all the time, like mystic, some secrets, so 90% we do not see. And it is all the time feeling that what is under the water and this uh, mystic, this something what you cannot expect. And this I wanted to give also the maximum sharpness in the end of the piece and the power uh, which maybe then in the beginning of the piece is quite soft and the end is very dramatic. So I like to see something what we cannot see. And uh, this power, uh, this I wanted to give for listeners.
Were you thinking ever of the state of the icebergs dissolving or the disappearance of icebergs with global warming, for example? No, I had no any very literal meaning, so I thought mostly like a symbol of secrets of mystics, so it was my the first idea. I remember that it was very difficult to find the right title for this piece, and I had at least a few titles in my mind. One was Vision, and so I chose only in the last moment, because often the piece should have a title. So sometimes maybe the title comes first, and sometimes maybe it comes after at the end. And I see that a lot of your titles have to do with nature. Iceberg Symphony, Songs of Sunset, Almond Blossoms, Wind in the Mists. So there's an attraction to nature in your life, I see. Uh, yes, the nature for me is extremely important. It gives a lot of inspirations and impressions, but all the time I see like all these titles which are connected with nature has all the time metaphorical uh, meaning. By the way, it is very lot of metaphorical thinking and meaning in the folk music, like, you know, many, many symbols. And I also want to give in my music some kind of symbols and never only literal meanings. So I all the time looking for the titles which could have as broad sense as possible. That would be an open mind for imagination. Yes, and I think that's the key to receptivity on the listener, is that if there's more to take in in possibilities, then it's quite likely that there'll be a stronger connection. So you reach more people that way. So interesting. You know, I know that it takes a lot to put together an orchestra concert, and I know that after you finish writing the score, the next step is to hear it in reality. And the first question I've always wanted to ask is, the first time you have a rehearsal, when you hear it for the first time, because you're comparing it to what you've written, and now you get to hear it. I'm very interested in the rehearsal process and how you're working, and you've worked with some of the best conductors uh, in the world, and so also it's a, a long story about the relationship to these people, like Mirga Grajanita Tila and some of the others that you've worked with. So tell me a little bit about this transition between finishing it on paper and hearing it for the first time, and then also about the rehearsal process. It is one rule that often conductors advise not to come to the first rehearsal. And I think it is truth, because the first rehearsal could be, in a way, quite disappointing. But it is because of many reasons. First of all, of course, composer thinking. How does it sound in reality? What kind of sound did they have when they wrote the piece and what I'm listening to now? But another thing that orchestra starts to learn and when it is the first rehearsal we're just thinking mostly about their own parts and it is natural it, it should be like it is so in ideal way it should be two three rehearsals for one piece of course sometimes it is the situation where it is only one rehearsal so it is comparing how many hours spend composer when writing piece and then suddenly you see that you have to during one hour uh, can be process of a whole what you imagine it in your mind so it is very special experience. Of course, when 20 years ago, when, when, when I listened to the first my piece for Symphony Orchestra, Iceberg Symphony, of course, on that time, it is the first rehearsal could be some kind of shock. But later, of course, composers getting experience and can a very bit easier to predict how it could sound. But also, like a person, perhaps I hope we became more maturing and we can take it a very bit easier and to know how to deal during rehearsals. And, but of course, it is all the time quite thrilling. 
and also it is wonderful to work with very good conductors and orchestras. It is wonderful when we can easy to communicate. The conductor and composer has similar vision when it is easy to work and it, it could be a fantastic experience. Yeah, that's wonderful. And the experience working with the conductor, do you find that you get some feedback or response during the process, especially in the early rehearsals, maybe even to change some things in the music? Do you find yourself having to edit based on the rehearsal experience and maybe changing some things in the score? Actually... Um... Usually waste very little time for orchestral rehearsal, usually two, three rehearsals, and it is too little time to change a lot. So I'm trying as little as possible to change and to see what is possible to do in this situation and just trusting what is going on. It's interesting point, the idea of working with a higher level orchestra, like say the National Symphony Orchestra or possibly Kramarata Baltica or maybe City of Birmingham or even some of the others, is that the orchestras have familiarity of the standard repertoire. In fact, I would say the better the orchestra, the more regularly they play the standard repertoire. And then when they get to a contemporary composition, then it's a little bit challenging for them in the sense of really looking for new territory. So one common complaint I hear from composers is that there isn't enough rehearsal time because of the nature of and complexity of the music that they're accessing. So I guess you probably agree that you wish you had more rehearsals than you get? I think everyone is quite perfectionistic and thinking that would be good to have more. But I think very important to know how much experience has conductor and orchestra in contemporary music. Because, of course, every new piece is new territory. But otherwise, if we are used to play a lot of contemporary music, for them it's quite natural process to take new piece. And usually when musicians know how to deal, and also it very much depends on conductor, I'm very thankful for a conductor and musician with whom I worked a lot, to Maestro Mirga Grazinite, to Maestro Gidon Kremer, and many, many other musicians. And when we have vision, and when conductor and composer has similar vision, the process is much easier. And also, it very much depends on the general energy and attitude to the composition and to their own work. And so it, it can be also a very uh, fantastic experience. Yeah, it's nice to hear that these relationships also become deeper in time and maybe even develop into very deep connections, possibly lifelong connections. So it's very interesting to see the development of these relationships. Yes. I wanted to go back to the writing, and it still fascinates me, this idea of writing process. And I wanted to ask you if you had any thoughts about states of concentration. And these days, with everybody's cell phones and smartphones, and they say that the level of concentration and is really going down to shorter and shorter periods. And I understand that working on the level of creating an orchestral composition takes a lot of concentration. And I'm wondering if you had any thoughts about states of concentration or what we call flow states, or sometimes they say you're in the zone of really concentrating and what your thoughts are about that. Actually, I think that it very lot of things depend on us. It is, uh, we are responsible for how we can be uh, concentrative or not. And we are using uh, social media, not social media using us. So we can do what we can do. And I personally put off internet, put off often mobile phone. And I need, yes, I need this concentration. And I 
think that often t- not everything is so urgent that you should uh, suddenly to throw away everything and to see who is calling and so on. I personally very strong prefer to emails, not to the phone calls, because email you can check at any your convenient time. And as I mentioned, it is quite seldom that is everything so enormous urgent. I am trying to imagine doctors in surgery and when we have serious operation and suddenly we check <laughs> mobile every 10 minutes it would be quite strange i think so i think concentration need many occupation in t- it is another question that it is like now to be very modern to all the time to look to mobile and so on and so on but also it is another way when we can in a way also ignore some things that it is often t- not so many really so important uh, things which we uh, must know on the same second or uh, so i think very very lot of things depend on us and on our attitude so i'm trying during composing process to have at least half a day for very concentrative time yeah that's very inspiring to hear even people that are concentrating for the reason of concentrating we call them meditators they sometimes have trouble sitting for 20 minutes and meditating on a subject but if you're capable of concentrating for an hour or two hours this is quite unusual and quite challenging i guess perhaps now i wanted to ask you also there is one particular feature of what I would call your style. And the first idea is that I think that you have this really broad range between, I would say, a joyful expression and the opposite of that, this kind of terror-like expression. But what's most interesting is how fast you pull the emotion in uh, very quickly, going from almost an idea to a full expression very quickly. I've almost not heard it in very many musical experiences in my life. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this ability to engage in emotion quickly. Actually, interesting question. And I personally do not think a lot about that. It happens for me very natural. And it is perhaps my feelings, my understanding. Just I understand harmony like not dominating one mood. For me, I have developed my own composing system, fusion of major and minor. It means that I am all the time looking for harmony between black and white, between light and dark between major and minor in the broadest sense. And then I feel harmony in that sense. I don't feel harmony when I see only one mood dominating. So for me, it's very natural if I putting one episode darker after some time I giving some episode which is lighter so otherwise I feel that it is too much dominating one mood and I think that the whole life consists of joyful and painful things and actually our moods changing many times during day and so for me it is like very natural. It sounds a lot like life. And I know that in Lithuania, for example, in the wintertime, even in the autumn, it can rain for a long time. You might not see the sun for a long time, and you might be stuck in this depressive state. So this is, I guess, for most people, the obvious minor key experience. And then the interest in this depressed feeling especially if it lasts too long, is how to get out of it, how to change it, how to transform it, especially when it's so long and sometimes painful to be stuck in it. So I think this ability to musically change from one to the other gives the listener a sense of 
hope and optimism and possibility that it's the change in our ability in emotions that we have the power to change that it's very, very inspiring. And I understand that there's a broad spectrum of psychological states of mind and maybe even musical archetypes. And it may sound like a general question, but what could be the source of inspiration that you have for even starting something? So I would like to come back to your sentence about how nature and weather can influence you just mentioned that yes we have very long winter very long dark time but i would like to also say that lefine has a huge contrast huge contrast between summertime and winter time and in winter is absolutely opposite during june we have extremely short nights which last only a few hours we have very early mornings which starts at four or five o'clock in the morning and we have light till 12 o'clock in the night. So <laughs> perhaps the whole climate of Lithuania gives this enormous spectrum of colors and moods. And also in Lithuania, we often have during summertime plus over 30, plus 35 sometimes. And during winter, we can have minus 20 or even lower temperatures so we experience every year very very dynamic climate very very dynamic moods and i think people who are visiting lithuania we can get very very different impressions if we arrive during summertime and if we arrive during winter time and of course, during winter time, there are a lot of depressions and it is really a very long and dark time, but it is a good time for concentration, for meditation. And from the spring, it starts wonderful time, very beautiful and, and gives many, many other emotions. So I think a whole nature, a whole culture influenced me all the time, perhaps in unconscious way. And I am thinking if I would grow up in another country, I'm not sure what music I would write and if I would write at all. And I think whole experience which I had in my life also, I think that also when I was a teenager and in 1990 that it was Lithuanian independence and when it was singing revolution, I think people who experience that will remember forever this feeling of huge elevated peak experience which was that during singing revolution time then it is difficult to imagine how whole folk had these songs and what kind of mood was during a few years and i think all experience which we had in our life and also after that very tragic events of january 13 so all these events and all this experience somehow influence and i think the life in general and time is <laughs> the biggest who which can do the biggest influence thank you for that you know also even chemically and biologically, they say that we have a lot of influences of what happens to us. One of those features is this idea of dopamine into the brain. And they say that dopamine is a stimulant, a sense of well-being. They say that if you're on Facebook and you get a lot of likes, then you get dopamine. So you become addicted to it and you really want to get a lot of likes. And the other thing that they have been talking about lately is this idea of traveling, meaning getting new impressions, being in a new place that you've never been before can create a lot of stimulation and dopamine. And I wanted to turn to the topic of your international experience because you've spent a lot of years outside of Lithuania working, creating. You've even been here in New York and I just wanted to ask you how the state of traveling and living abroad has shaped your musical life. I think all traveling um, really is very important for a person. 
Because, yes, you are going from comfort zone to uncomfortable zone and to very new experience when you have to, uh, you should be open-minded and it gives, yes, it gives a lot of adrenaline and uh, it is very important, I think, especially at young age, maybe like just after, uh, during study years and also immediately after studying. So I'm happy that I had a chance to travel a lot, uh, also to study abroad during various master classes, and uh, the most important, of course, to work with uh, many very different musicians around the world, which was very stimulating, very um, give wonderful experience, and also to uh, know very different people with very various background and from different culture, from Germany, Austria, America, France, and other countries. And I think it is very good uh, experience. And but now I think the time strongly changed because of new technologies, and now it is much easier to travel just sitting by computer and because it is so many recordings which are available on internet and so many communication possibility that perhaps at this moment I don't feel a very big need to travel a lot. I like to travel but a few times per year not to be all the time on the way. And I guess the pandemic even slowed that down even more. Actually, back to the idea of titles, I know you premiered a new piece in September called This Too Shall Pass. And I'm assuming that you're speaking about the pandemic, but I was searching for recordings. I suppose it's not recorded yet. This was a quite recent premiere. And when can we expect to hear that? I hope next year will be our performances of this piece and what concerns how it is related with pandemic situation in fact it is not related with pandemic situation it is my the main what was about time in general about feeling of time and how quickly everything passed away so it was the most general feeling and in fact the theme of time is very important from my very first pieces especially songs of sunset and dawn when I like had meditation about every time of day about evening about night about morning about these special feelings which is going on during thinking about time, so it was just like this.
You know, I also was thinking about this idea of innocence emotionally, and I was thinking about this body of work you have in the topic of, or I would say the category of works for children. It's a very interesting part of your life, and not just small projects, but also a large-scale opera, Five Miracles of Mary, working with this idea of fairy tales, and you speak a lot about metaphors and metaphors for life, but sometimes I think that children have a complete understanding of things in a simple way that adults lose after time. And so somehow you're putting energy into connecting with children somehow. And I wanted you to tell the audience what that's about and what is behind this interest of yours. I think that some composers love to write for children and some perhaps not. It is similar like writers, some writers who write for children and some not. And I think the most important is like if we feel inner child inside of us, if we like to be joyful, to be also emotional, and if we like to play, then to write for children is very natural. And some people, uh, when they grew up, they, I was telling, it was childhood. Now we have no, nothing in common with our childhood. And I remember, thanks to my parents, I had a wonderful, fantastic childhood. And I remember everything very, very well. This fantastic experience. I grew up in a house where, was, uh, where there were so many books, so many recordings. We often went to theater and I like to play very much. Uh, so all this experience, I think, influenced me very, very much. And also some writers, my perhaps the most favorite writer is Astrid Lindgren this Swedish uh, writer and I felt to be very also influenced in a way by her and I think all this experience I also want to now to put uh, in my pieces and to never forget our uh, inner child. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's magical to return to some of the childhood material, even as an adult, because we understand it very differently as an adult when we return to it. I was recently reading Winnie the Pooh, and this wonderful character really brought a lot of meaning in my current life about this. In the children's book, he doesn't seem to be too bright or too intelligent. But he also, at the same time, has this wonderful attitude about things, that he sees things coming and going, and that there's a natural sense of friendship and cause and effect and this sort of thing. So I can see that this can be not, I would say, limited to a child's perspective, but it's very adult to come back to this material and you know, understand it in a deeper way. 
Yes, I think that uh, some books are not only for children. For example, like this mini book we can read now and it is so wonderful characters and so wonderful philosophy and all the on the same time we are laughing and we are going to tears and so that it is wonderful and uh, and yes i think that this also feeling a lot of emotions also when we were children we had so broad range of emotions and also i think it is good uh, do not forget it yes and i wanted to also ask you as a final question is what is happening in the future for raminta shershnite what are we looking forward to what are you working on now i have quite a lot of ideas and all these ideas are very different so i think that we can expect quite various pieces and quite various music well i wanted to thank you so much for spending the time with me today and having this discussion and i also wanted to thank you deeply for giving us your music and helping us look to deep things that matter to cherish moments in our lives to be more conscious and to see the meaning of sound and how it relates to our lives so thank you so much for this Thank you very very much for invitation.